Okay, there we go. And so we saw in chapter 8 that, uh, you know, when we deal with credible Christian living, uh, the giving examples that, that were available to the Corinthians were the Macedonians. And then as we get to chapter 9, we saw last week, if you guys, I know you've slept since then, but we saw that the, the people that encouraged the, the Macedonians were the Corinthians. So, and it was because of their promise. And so uh, that they had made uh, a year earlier to help the churches of Jerusalem. So Paul, as we got together last week, was talking about how they need to prepare their mind. And I, I titled it, Prepare Your Mind, a very simple title, the verse, first nine, uh, five verses of chapter 9. Um, that God wants us to have a prepared mind so we know why we give. And so I talked about how we prepare our mind through discipleship, which is literally how we do it here at HBF. People, as they engage in discipleship, one of our lessons, lesson number 10, is giving. And we talk about, you know, really the issues, just having the right knowledge about giving. Um, God doesn't need our money, but it does. it is the first fruits of our increase that we give back to Him. And uh, He blesses that, and it's the right thing to do. Our credibility is not based on what we think, but what we do. That's really also what Paul's writing is like, I know you were minded to do this, but you really need to do it. Right? It's not just a matter of having a want to or saying, I'm going to do it, raising your hand at the meeting and... Uh, and saying, I'm going to give $100 and then not doing it. He's like, now you need to do it. Um, and so, uh, and then Paul wanted them to be prepared to back up their giving commitments. So we talked about um, that as well in verse 5, uh, so that they're not ashamed because it was the, it was them, it was the Corinthians and their commitment, their initial zeal to help the church at, uh, at uh, Jerusalem that got the Macedonians giving beyond their ability, right? Beyond, and Paul's like, man, we... We don't need what we don't need all that. I mean, and they're like, no, please take it. We want to give, you know, and and so that's how the Macedonians gave became giving examples. No, no dice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's password. Yeah, and I'm not going to scream that out. Okay, so um, I'm sorry, guys. That's my bad. I I assumed. I know we do have Bibles, but I assumed we had those. Uh, those out there so uh they probably threw those away thinking they were outdated so um forgive me so tonight we're going to talk about uh prepare your heart and uh, we talked about preparing the mind so if you have your bibles second corinthians chapter 9 um uh, verse starting in verse 1 second corinthians 9 and verse 1 we'll read the text and it says, First, touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast to you of them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I have sent the brethren, uh, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that I said you may be ready. Lest happily, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we, say not ye, should be ashamed. In this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty, not as of of covetousness. And so that's where we left off. And he's saying, look, I sent these men before you to, to, 
so, or before, so you guys could be ready. Uh, when the folks come from Macedonia, they're ready to, to go, and they see that um, you know you guys are not ashamed, and that you're not ready with what you promised. So, verse six is where we pick it up tonight. But this I say: He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Uh, And then he goes on to say in verse 9, As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad and hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. And so Paul here is, um, and you may not see it initially, but he's he's really talking about the preparation of the heart. So God wants us to, to have a prepared mind so we know why we give. And now God wants us to have a prepared heart so we know how to give. Right, So we, we know why to give, and then that's what we see in the first five verses. And then in 6 through 10, we see why or how to give, why to give and how to give. So point A, we must be a blessing to receive a blessing, which you don't have an outline. But if you did, it'd be point A. We must, and maybe you will if somebody's listening to this online, we must be a blessing to receive a blessing. Uh, and so in verse 6, he says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. It's interesting, we're talking about that tonight. This morning we just talked about the fields being white unto harvest, right? They don't get white if there's no... First you've got to have seed before you get a crop, right? So he's saying, look, you've got to sow bountifully if you're going to reap a harvest bountifully. So you could have the best tilled soil in the world, but if you don't sow the seed... Uh, you don't get the harvest, right? You just have really great soil, right? You, the seeds got to get into the into the heart, and so uh, this principle bears out all over the scripture, by the way. So it's not just in this passage. And if you're, if you're, since we don't have uh, PowerPoint and all that other fancy stuff, look at turn to Proverbs eleven twenty four in the Old Testament. Keep a finger here. Of course, we'll be back uh, like uh, the Terminator. But Proverbs chapter uh, uh, twenty four. Did I say 11? 1124. 1124. I'm sorry, guys. This time of day on Sunday, my brain's a little bit mushy. So uh, Proverbs 1124, the Bible says there, There is that scattereth and increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but but it tendeth to poverty. Right? So uh, that's a really good passage. So there's what he's saying. uh, It's like throw your, cast your bread on the water. So it's like having, you know, you got $10,000 in the bank. Is it better just to let it sit in that savings account and draw 0.1% interest a year? Or is it better to maybe invest it in something and see uh, about getting a return on investment? And so uh, that's what that's what Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says. There is that scattereth and yet increases. Someone who's giving away, putting things out, and yet they keep increasing. And then there's that person that's building up and amassing and heaping in themselves riches, and they're not getting anywhere. Because, well, that, that money's not, those riches aren't being put to work. And so that what that's like, though, remember, we're not just talking about spiritual. Jesus is also, as we talk, as we're on Sunday, it's a spiritual work that we're involved in. So a lot of times people, what they do is they come to churches like ours that preach and teach the Bible and they amass information. And then Paul's already dealt with that. The Corinthians were guilty of that. He told them in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffeth up. But charity edifies. The problem wasn't getting more knowledge, more riches. 
Amy Joe, did you find them? You're such a good wife, man. I cannot tell you how how what a blessing that is because that's in the back of my heart. I'm a little troubled that I don't have the handouts, and that helps me be at ease. I'm at peace now, so. <laughs> I think it is. Let me look at it. I can tell you in just a glance. That's it. Uh, you'll have to correct point two where it says eight six through ten. It's nine six through ten, which that that mistake is on mine as well. So, um, but thank you, hon. That's that's great. Well, do you know why? Because we're one flesh. She can probably feel the tension in my heart. And she's like, I'm going to go help him out. So there's something to that. But anyway, um, okay, Ecclesiastes 11.6 uh, uh, is the next passage. Just turn over there and we'll just keep working this this truth. So, yeah, there's those that amass knowledge like the Corinthians. Knowledge puffed up, but they weren't getting it out. That's why it's important to not just gather information, but to get it out. So it's one thing to sit and learn about you know, Jesus. It's another thing to teach others about Jesus, isn't it? Jamie, do you learn more teaching or being taught? Teaching. teaching. I think so. When you teach, it helps you really learn what you believe, doesn't it? And you get a lot more when you're giving it out than you do when you're just sitting there collecting it in. See how that works? And so there's, that's how discipleship works. Jesus was giving that. There's a time to sit and learn. There's a time to sit with Jesus in Samaria and watch what he's doing with the woman of the well. But I guarantee once the disciples had to go out themselves and start doing that two by two, they learned a lot more about what that was all about. And they remembered those lessons even better. And so let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. You guys are probably there. Anybody there? All right, Jeff, can you read verse 16? I mean six. I'm sorry. Very good. Good observation. Verse 6. My note's right. It's just my brain is not right. So you guys can pray for me. Amen. I feel better now, Amy Joe, about mowing at the dark. So, uh, so, you know what he's saying? You know, in the morning you want to sow, of course, because the sun's up and you can see your rose and you're, you're planting the seed. And, you know, that's ideally optimum time is to sow in the morning. But he's also saying, you know what, go ahead and sow at night. If you got the seed, keep sowing. And uh, chance it might fall on fertile soil and come up with more fruit. And so uh, there's times you may find me out mowing at night because I got a compressed schedule. So I, by chance, I might get those rows just right. And in the morning when I wake up, it looks just as good as if the sun would have been up when I was mowing. So you, anyone else do that? I get out there with the flashlight. I'm out there mowing around. Yeah, good job, Ron. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm all about the laboring at night. So uh, at any rate... Um, but uh, that's not altogether unbiblical, right? Uh, he's saying, hey, so, really the point is, is, is be liberal in your distribution, right? That's really what he's saying, is don't be conservative, because if you don't sow, you aren't going to reap. And that's the point that Paul's making as well. Now let's look at Luke chapter 6, um, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Luke six thirty-eight. 
I may have to bring this message back up around from uh, here at the end of the month when we do our giving update on Sunday morning because this is really so true. Uh, Luke 6.38, this is one of Bob Olkin's favorite verses. He's, he quotes this often. Anybody want to read that? Luke 6.38. 6.38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down and shaken together. And running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Amen. Has anyone ever tried to outgive God? It's just, it's hard. And it's a wonderful blessing. I know this is a step of faith, but... He's saying, really, you know, give and it'll be given unto you. Now, that sounds a little charismatic, and we can say, well, he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus got the physical inheritance and all that, and that's true. That's all true, right? So we're going to put everything in the proper context. But I'm telling you, it's also a biblical principle, and a biblical principle is a biblical principle. And when you give, man, uh, to the Lord, whoever lends to the Lord, that lends to the Lord is a wise person. Uh, because when you give to the Lord, he gives back. That's just how it works. And he, he blessed you. That doesn't mean you're going to get rich, right? So this isn't a prosperity type of thing like Kenneth Copeland. You know, you need to write a check for $1,000, you know, and all that. No. Uh, but I, I would encourage people, uh, you know, to not just as financial giving, but in general. You know, uh, when we give our lives to God by faith, not grudgingly or necessity, but with a cheerful heart, it's just hard. You just you get it back. I don't know how to explain it. You may not get it back in dollars and cents, but you will get it back some way. Um, your gas tank gets full. Your groceries get bought. <laughs> it's just it's like wow, God, you're awesome. You provide for your people, and so and He doesn't mean you get what you want, but you do get what you need. And in the process, you get peace and joy and and the benefit of investing in eternity. And so, uh, this passage is really good. Bob Bolkin loves it. You know, is, he quotes this often. You know, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I mean, just you really, you just are going to be blessed um, if you if you give. Um, it's going to be given unto you. We used to sing a song, "Give and it will come back to you." And you remember that, Amy? So. Um, uh, that is a good song. So anyway, all right. So that's the point that Paul's making back in our text in Luke, or in Luke, Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse uh, six. But I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He's like, man, if you don't plant corn, you're not going to get any. That's what he's saying. If if you, it's just like the he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Or herself, right? So if you want to have friends and you walk around like you've been eating dill pickles, you know, and you're, you're all pruned up, you, you don't, you're not friendly, you don't smile, you're, you don't show yourself friendly, well, guess what? You're not going to have friends. Because if you don't, if you don't show, if you don't sow uh, kindness, you're not going to receive kindness. Uh, and that doesn't mean every time you sow kindness, it's going to come back from those people. But God will recompense you because God is just. All right, so if you desire to have a friend, be friendly. Proverbs 8.24 says that. Um, and we also know that we will, uh, we will reap what we sow. In Proverbs 20 and verse 4, the, the Bible there says, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. That's a, that would go good with... Uh, the lion in the street, like I was talking about this morning. And so the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore he uh, shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. So what that means is it's, it's important to get after it early. 
right? You talked about sowing in the morning. That's a given. You don't want to sow all the seed at night, and you want to you want to hit it before the frost is off the ground. He's like, go ahead and sow in the cold. Don't don't make excuses. Go ahead and get after it because if you don't if you don't get out in the cold and get started early. Um, when the dew's still on the grass, uh, someday you're gonna you're gonna wish you had because you're not gonna you're gonna be begging when harvest time comes and you didn't sow enough. And so it is important again, like I was talking about this morning, to, to kind of have some urgency and some understanding that this is about. There, you know, we don't do nickels and noses, especially we're like adverse to nickels and noses in in our church. And how many know what nickels and noses is? Amy does. So that's kind of and Ron. So that's kind of like when you look at the church, like. Uh, you, you count heads, and every head's worth so many numbers, you know. And so we're, we need 300 people so our budget can be this big, and all that kind of stuff. And we can do all this, and it's just a big business mathematical formula. The real investment's in making disciples. And by the way, that's so. I can tell you from a nickels and noses perspective, that's also true. The more the, the this church can have 100 people, or it can have three, 400 people, and still have a similar budget because the people that are grounded in the Word are givers, and the people who aren't aren't. I mean, it's just that simple, and so um, and so that's that's a principle unto itself. But the point of bringing this up about um, you know having something in harvest is is it's important to to really invest in people. The word of God that's the most precious thing is God's word. That's the most precious thing we have, and investing that in our lives and the lives of others is going to get a harvest. And man, there's going to be a lot of people that are Christians that are going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and go, oh. They are not going to have anything to glorify the, the, the Father with. And they're going to realize it when it's too late. They're going to show up empty. It's like coming to a party without a gift. you know. And uh, you're going to, they're going to be there and go, oh my goodness, I have, no, I have nothing to give back to my Father in Heaven who paid for my presence, who has paid for my every... You know, it may not set in on us now how grateful we ought to be, but I'm pretty certain once we get out of these bodies, it's going to really hit us. Man, how how much we should be giving honor and glory to the Father. So, um, you guys, you guys tracking with me on that? So, point B: bountiful giving is produced from a bountiful heart. This isn't something that we want to do out of necessity, right? It's just something that we got to do from a good heart. So, down in verse eight, well, let's start in verse seven. Let's work our way there. Every man, according as he purposeth in his, there's the word heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So it's no accident that so, the, the sowing analogy is tied to the condition of the heart, because the heart is likened to soil. And I think many of us know that. If you, if you are familiar with the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus makes it very clear that the heart is like soil. Right, it's like soil. Um, turn over to uh, Ezekiel chapter eleven. I, I used to, I used to actually use that as a a lot at the city mission when I would preach, because when I'd preach down there, I knew a lot of times, not always, uh, but a lot of times I was I was dealing with people who had rocky soil hard-heartedness had set in. That's oftentimes why they were there. Not always, but that was often why they were there. 
But whenever you got a guy like that gentleman I mentioned this morning in Quincy, you know, Quincy shows up, his heart was so tilled. It was just like drop the seed in and boom, add water and there's there's life. You know, God does it. It's amazing. And so, but Ezekiel 11, God is dealing with his people Israel. And uh, this, this is the heart that you don't want to have. Uh, in verse 19, he says, And I will give them, well, this is the one we do, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take away, you don't want this heart, the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. Well, I thought they had a heart of flesh. I mean, does anyone? do you know anybody that has a stone heart? I mean, well, yeah, maybe, but not a literal stone heart, right? So he's not talking about literally. There's nobody that just has a, a literally stone heart. That doesn't work, does it? Except if you go back to 1st Nabal. Nabal, yeah, he had a stony heart, didn't he? He had a hard heart that turned into a stony heart. So, uh, and so, but the, uh, the hard-heartedness is what he's talking about, isn't it? And an attitude of ingratitude. And so God says, I'm going to remove that stony heart and put in a new heart. It is interesting that you, you bring up Nabal, uh, who was Abigail's husband, who who died because of his uh, aversion, his stony heart, and his aversion to honoring David. And, uh, and of course, Abigail kept appeased his wrath, appeased David's wrath, kept him from being a fool in Israel himself, and David was forever grateful. And then God was the one who executed justice and judgment on Nabal. But interesting enough, a guy like Nabal is is uh, like Israel's heart, and God is actually uh, is going to re- restore Israel's heart and give them a heart of flesh, a flesh a heart that will receive His word. Now, look at thirty six, uh, chapter thirty six, and verse twenty six. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I'm going to start in 25. He says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so the condition of our heart is, is so important, and it's likened to soil. And we all know, you know, back in the day, back in the, uh, I think it was the 40s, I don't remember the actual time frame, but City Union Mission, uh, um, the original founder, I uh, cannot remember before, Morris Vandenberg, uh, his father-in-law bought all this property in Warsaw, Missouri. And it was called Opportunity Farm, man. And they were going to take men from Kansas City, and they were going to take them down there, and they were going to put them to work on the farm. You know the problem with that? No, it wasn't that. That could have been a problem that they didn't want to work. The the soil. If you ever drive down Seven Highway to to uh, yeah, there ain't there ain't any crops growing down there in that rocky soil uh, in uh, the Ozarks. And so he bought this property, and he didn't realize the reason he probably got a good deal on it is because you can't grow crops on it. <laughs> So he had this he had this property and Morse Vandenberg inherited that from his father-in-law and they had this piece of property and so uh, Truman Dollar uh, came in and helped them out with some financial dealings and put them back right financially because it was sinking their ship, you know, that they weren't able to do anything with this property. And they turned that into Opportunity Farm, which is there today as you drive down Seven Highway. That's where they have Camp Comcedo. But that's an interesting story because I remember that. I thought here they had all this acreage they thought they were on top of that they got a hold of. It was worthless, at least to sowing 
physical seed, but yet God now is using it for the spiritual seed. So that's kind of a cool, cool thing that God did there. But I've always remembered that that property wasn't any good for for, for farming because it was stony. You can't farm in a stony plot. You got to have soil. And they didn't have the, the soil to, to do the crops at that time. And even today, right, if, uh, we're involved with people who make a, a, a ministry. There's a lot of good ministries uh, right now that are out helping countries um, fit the seed to the soil. Because you can't just throw the soil on sand and expect it to grow. you got to have the right compo- uh, composition. And so they work that so they can prepare the, the soil so that they can grow crops in places all over the world, the Middle East and all that. So a lot of technology is in, involved in that today because it's really a study of the soil, study of the heart, to prepare to receive the seed. It's crop science, and it's a big business. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, and Matthew 6, 21, the Bible in both of those places says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You got, well, I think we all probably say that often. It's, a, it's one of those things that the Lord impresses on many of us. One of the first things God taught me out of the Bible ever was that. And my devotional reading, Matthew chapter 6, the first weeks of my salvation. Um, I was reading Matthew 6, and it really stuck. To where your treasure is, there's your heart also. The passage about, you know, thieves coming in and stealing and all of that stuff just really sunk in with me. And I'm like, wow, you know, we need to, I need to invest in eternal things. And so if giving is an issue in your, of the heart, much more than, it's much more, I'm sorry, uh, giving is an issue of the heart, much more than of the intellect. So David had a heart to build something um, he didn't need, and God still blessed it. Think about that. So David had a heart to build something uh, that really neither he nor God needed, but nonetheless, God blessed it. Go to Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel seven in the Old Testament. I'm actually in my daily reading in First Samuel, so I'll be getting I'll be getting back to this here shortly in my devotional reading. Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. Somebody want to read verses one through three? Thank you, Jeff. So, so God tells David, you know, uh, through Nathan, you know, go ahead, Nathan. Um, you got go ahead, David. I mean, go ahead and you know, I'm, you're sitting in your house and you're you got rest and you're all set up. And what about God? God's out there dwelling in a tent. You know, that's kind of how David's seeing it. And God reminds David that, well, David, uh, I don't really need a house. <laughs> I don't dwell in temples made with hands. Uh, although they, he obviously did tabernacle with them in, in the tent, in the temple. Let's just look at it. It says, And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? That's a question. You're going to build me a house to dwell in, David? Uh, whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. 
And by the way, that's why I just got I got Sunday night. I got to clear off a spot here. Verse six. This verse six is one of the reasons why I'm a big time believer in the authorized version and not tinkering with the word tabernacle in the New Testament. Uh, It troubles me. I was at a funeral, and I won't say the dear brother's name. And uh, he he was doing a funeral, and and he's like, "We put off this earthly tent," and I'm just like, "Oh, it's a tabernacle." You know, uh, God knows the difference between a tent and a tabernacle. He, he clearly points it out in verse six. <laughs> if he wanted to say tent, he would say tent, even in the Old Testament. But he calls the, our bodies a tabernacle because it's more than just a tent. You know, I sleep in a tent in the backyard. The tabernacle was a place of worship, and so uh, it's obviously a dwelling place too. But it was a, it has a connotation there. Okay. Back off of my hobby horse, back on to verse 7. In, in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye me not a house of cedar? I mean, did I tell anybody I needed a house? Did, did I, I miss the memo? I haven't heard about this. Now therefore... So shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, have I caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house." And of course, you know the story. God goes on to to set up, and he does, and then he goes beyond what David could even ask or think. In the same passage, in verse sixteen, he says, "In thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever and ever. Before uh, before thee, thy throne shall be established for ever." Whoa. So David gets this incredible promise of his seat. So God reminds David, you know, I really don't need a house, David. Uh, I mean. I don't really need one, never asked anybody to build me one. But God, in the process, blesses Israel nationally, nationally as a nation. He says, oh, by the way, we're going to do this. And, uh, and, and, uh, and by the way, David's seed is going to be established forever. And the Messiah is going to come through David's house. You know, that's what's going to happen. Uh, and this is going to, and he's going to rule forever. You know, all those prophecies end up falling out. And the temple, the temple David built didn't last forever, literally. Right, it got destroyed, 606 BC, but the kingdom he fought to establish will go on eternally through Jesus, the son of David. And of course, there is a house in the third heaven. So, practical application is this: we have begun the process, uh, even here in this church. This is we're building a building. I mean, not a physical building. Oh, this is a physical building here, I guess. So, this is here, but the spiritual building, the body of Christ. What what is all this about? It's really so Christ can dwell in us, not just me individually, but us corporately, each of you individually, and then us together. But also, He's building His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it will not be until the catching away that we fully get the whole picture of all the work that He's been doing these last couple thousand years. But it's so good to be in on it. It's so awesome. And so God loves a cheerful giver. And God loves you. And so in Ezra 6, uh, in verse 15, just uh, go over to Ezra 6. This is a long point, isn't it? So Ezra 6 and uh, verse 15. 
I need to get get done here. If somebody gets it, go ahead and you can read it. 15 through 16. Yeah, God, they, they came with joy. So when the house gets built, man, there's joy. Now, this is not the same as, as the temple of Solomon, but it's, it's, it's another version. It's a smaller version, but it's still, it's a house. It's built, there's worship going on in the time of Ezra, and they come, and they kept the dedication of this house with great joy. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And in verse 22, it says, And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So joy is accompanied with giving, giving back to God. Giving should be something that resonates from the heart back to God. So when we're giving, we may give toward something, but we're really giving toward God. We're giving, it's Godward that we're giving. And so we trust that God is working through. Uh, that's why it's so important that you, we give to causes that are, are spiritual in nature and, and truly biblical in nature, not just spiritual. There's a lot of spiritual co- things you can give to. They need to be biblical. They need to be advancing the kingdom of God. And so God will not forget those who have giving hearts. That's point C in verses 8 through 10 of our text. You know, I should... Man, I'm running out of, I'm gonna, I'm running out of time here, guys. I apologize. So... Um, in our text, Second Corinthians nine and verse verse eight, the Bible says, "For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I per- perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made you were made sorrowed." Uh, or sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage uh, by us in nothing. And then in verse 10 he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So God is able to make all grace abound toward us. That's what he says in verse 8. All grace. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good acronym for, for grace. Uh, and God supplies our sufficiency for every good work in verse 8. If God orders it, he will pay for it. So we do not always get what we want. Uh, but we we do get what we need, right? So in that case, who's that guy that says that? Not Rod Stewart, Mitch, Mitch, Mick Jagger, right? You don't always get what you want, but you find sometimes you get what you need. That's right. God gives you what you need, not what you want. So if you want spiritual fruit, sow spiritual seed. The best place to sow seed is in the dirtiest, stinkiest places. Isn't that wild? I mean, we even go put manure on our on our fields so that we can get a good crop out of it. That is the best. You want to sow seed, go to the dirty, stinky place. Go to City Union Mission. Uh, go to the truck stop. <laughs> go to go to the bar. You know, wherever. But don't wait until people have cleaned up. That's the that's the main thing. Uh, make sure we get the seed in the heart. You don't have to wait till they're cleaned up to minister spiritual seed. As a matter of fact, sometimes the dirtier it is, the better it'll take. Sometimes the dung people roll in, roll around in their hearts fertilizes the truth of God's word. And uh, it's true. And I've even, I've, been, I've even prayed that. One time Steve Fleshman was shocked because I had a couple and they were having some c- concerns and we were meeting together. And I just said that in a prayer. I'm like, Lord, let the, 
let the dung of their past fertilize their future. I meant that with my whole heart. Because that's sometimes our lives, all we can bring to him is a bunch of dung, you know. And But you know what? If you bring him the dung and you let the word of God sink in, then God's able to fertilize that, and boom, there's a new work, a new work of God. It's amazing what God can do. So if you want spiritual fruit, sow seed in the hearts of those who can only give you supernatural return on your investment. And uh, 2 Corinthians 9, that's what he's talking about. I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us and nothing. He's like, I'm investing in people where I'm getting a good return. Um, in Psalm chapter 112, verse 9, I'm going to read it for time's sake. You can look it up if you want. He that, dispersed, he that hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. Uh, his righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. And so, man, I tell you what, give and it will come back to you, as, as the Bible says. So sowing God's word is a guaranteed investment. In 2 Corinthians 9.10, he's re- actually referencing uh, Isaiah 55, 9-11. So verse 9 rep- is, is, a, is a reference to Psalms 112 and verse 9. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever, his horn shall be exalted with honor. So he, he rebuked them, he, he sowed righteousness, and they, it comes back, and they're not damaged in anything. In verse 10... For godly sorrow work with repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but sorrow the sorrow of the the, the world. Oh, I'm in I'm in chapter seven, aren't I? I should be in chapter nine. There we go. I'm in the wrong text. Sorry about that. Verse 9. As it is written, there it is, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for the poor, and multiply your seed sown, and, and uh, increaseth the fruits of your righteousness. That makes more sense. So being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. We'll get to that next week. So verse uh, verse 9 is a cross-reference to verse uh, Psalms 112, verse nine sorry about that so he that dispersed he hath given to the poor his righteousness endureth forever his horn shall be exalted with honor and then verse uh, 10 is a reference to isaiah 55 which is a verse we're pretty familiar with it says for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither uh, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth the bud that it giveth seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be the go forth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which i please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto i sent it so paul's obviously meditating on both of these verses as he's as that thought goes in parenthesis there and then the last point here that i have is you can never outgive god so we're debtors so we can uh, you know we can never pay him back you know uh, not even in eternity we're debtors uh, that that have to, that, that can give and give and it's promised to be you know blessed but there's no way to ever outgive God um, because we can never pay back eternity we can never pay back eternal life and my last reference there is Romans fifteen twenty five it says but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints as Paul's you know going uh, meeting with the Ephesian elders um, and then heading down to Jerusalem he says for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, 
uh, their duty is also to minister under them to minister under them in carnal things and so what Paul tells the in Romans 15 25 and through 27 he's like is it a big deal for the Gentiles to give of their financial resources back to the church at Jerusalem to those that were Jewish believers because it was through those Jewish believers that the Messiah came forward they wouldn't even have the law they wouldn't have had the Lord Jesus Christ if it wasn't for, they wouldn't have the spiritual riches if it wasn't for the Jews so it's quite a quite an investment it's not a big deal to give the physical things for the spiritual inheritance what he's really saying is the Gentiles have inherited so much this is almost like their leftovers I mean they get so many more riches and glory and so God wants us to be have a prepared mind so we know why we give, and then he wants us to have a prepared heart so we know how to give. And the main thing is that I'm trying to drive at today is that is having a heart that's that's uh, gracious and giving. Like David, he's looking out, he's like, you know, I've got all this stuff. Um, man, let's build a house for God. And God's like, well, I, I don't need a house, David, but since we're talking about a house, let me give back to you a promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bless your seed forever. And, and your throne's going to go on forever. Let me bless your house. You're going to bless my house? Let me bless your house. Wow. That, I mean, that temple that Solomon built was torn down by sixty uh, by 606 B.C. Or, yeah, 606 B.C. That house went away, and it was awesome. But David's house goes on and on and on because Jesus Christ, the seed of David, came from it. And so what an incredible thing. You just cannot outgive God. And that all resonates from the heart. Uh, and our hearts, of course, you may think, man, Brian, I don't have the best heart. It kind of stinks sometimes. Well, you know what? I would encourage you to keep sowing the word into the heart because it's like water, number one, it'll cleanse it. But number two, it's from the stinky soil that God brings forth some of the best fruit. I'm not encouraging us to have stinky soil. But the truth is, our hearts aren't like Jesus' hearts. They're not always pure. So give God our heart. Let him replace our stony heart with a fleshy heart. A, soil, a soft-soiled heart, and man, God will God will bless the giving, and it will multiply it beyond what we can ask or even think. Man, that's good. I need to remember that and hear that. So that's the word tonight. I'm going to park it there. Next time we get together, we'll talk about being prepared for harvest, which, again, is right on target with where we are on Sunday night. So you almost think I coordinated that, but I'm, I'll have to be honest and say I'm not that smart. So... <laughs> So that's just working out that way. Guys, thanks for coming. I'm encouraged. We got, you know, more folks here and that's good. And I'm I'm encouraged in that. I pray you're encouraged as well. I know Sharon is. So all right. So I did not get the prayer pieces today, so I apologize for that. Um, just so you know, Rhonda Bachelet is uh she's we've been praying for her. Uh just keep her on your prayer list. Um She's got. Uh, she's also. She has the same type of cancer that Jim Boyette has, but she's got treatment. So, but she's still not doing so good. So, you just keep her in your prayer. She, uh, she had a um, ablation done, and uh, uh, last week, and that was very good for her. And so, it stopped her bleeding internally, uh, her at least in her stomach, so she could come back home. And her family's encouraged in that. I need to 